0: glad to be here this morning? Amen. Here we go. Put your hands together. Worship the Lord this morning. Celebrate who he is.
1: day The days of Ezekiel, the dry bones becoming as flesh, and these are the days of your servant, David, rebuilding a temple of praise, and these are the days of the harvest, the fields are i
0: This morning, he is so worthy. I love that music can be a celebration of just praising his name. Let's pray this morning before we continue. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity that you are giving to stand before you in song. And we ask that you would please just continue to allow us to hear your voice each and every day as we bless your name, as we lift our voices for you. I pray that you will continue to open our minds, open our ears, open our hearts. To dig into the word of God, Lord Jesus, and to really allow it to change our lives the way that you intended it as you gave it to us. Lord, we are just thankful for the opportunity to say that we are your children. And one day we will be standing before you, singing our praises, and forever worshiping an almighty God. We love you so very much. Amen. You can please be seated as we continue.
2: Please reach in the book rack right there in front of you somewhere and find one of our little black friendship folders and uh, please put your name on it and give it to a person sitting near you. We're glad you're here this morning. Just a few announcements today. Uh, this is kind of our, uh, the uh, big voting Sunday in the church, so we're going to be talking about that this morning. But uh, we're doing more than talking, we're praying about it. Inside your Sunday Curry, you'll find this little piece of paper. Uh, on the front of it says, I can, I'm going to fast and pray on Mondays, and then it gives all the way through the week. And so what I'd like to ask you to do, our congregation, is to choose one of those days uh, to fast and pray for the country, for the election, that God will just intervene in a powerful way and do His work in, in our country. Uh, you can check, check any spot there, put your name on the bottom, and uh, phone number. On the back, what we're going to do is we're going to have a prayer vigil uh, on Monday and Tuesday of the election. And we're asking people to come to the church and form a prayer chain. And you'll notice on the back there are all sorts of time slots, beginning Monday morning at 8 a.m., going all the way to Tuesday night at 11 p.m. And so that means we'll have somebody coming and going the whole time and we're praying that God will do His work in our land and bring America back uh, to uh, a semblance of civility and uh, freedom of religion that we had uh, previous. So uh, you choose some times there, and uh, it'll probably take you a little while to think about it. But at the end of the service, if you're ready to put your check on there, give this to the fellows that are standing at the back of the door as you leave. We already have quite a few, but if you'll help us in this way, we'll appreciate it. Also, at the end of the service, we're going to give everyone this big voter guide, and this is a good guide, and it gives you all the information that you need to know Whenever you go to to vote, so everybody will have one of these at the end of the service, so um, thank you let 's stand together, please, as our ushers come this morning and we'll receive our morning offering together at this time, dear Lord, we uh, thank you for this day which you've given to us. We praise you for our health and strength, and we uh, Pray, Lord, that you will intervene uh, in the lives of the people of our country, uh, especially in the days ahead. Uh, We pray that you'll have your will and way in this election. And now we come to support the ministry of the church. We pray that you'll bless us as we uh, render back to you a portion of what you have so generously given to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. today please to the book of Proverbs, book of Proverbs chapter 14. I'd like to talk to you this morning about values that, are, that made America great. And uh, our first verse for this morning is found in Proverbs chapter 14, verse number 34. The Bible says, "Here righteousness exalt a nation, but sin is a reproach or a disgrace to any people." And that means exactly what it says that uh, righteousness elevates a country, but sinfulness uh, drags it down. I, I want to encourage you this year, and this is my voting sermon uh, to vote uh, the values that God has designed for us in the Bible. I know that I know that there are many people who say, you know, our family has always been a part of this party, and that's just the way we vote, and that's who we are. I, I want to encourage you to uh to not think like that. Because parties change and uh whether a person is a Democrat or Republican or independent, uh, that's beside the point this morning. I want you to vote godly values. You know, already I'm sure that you have seen in the news that um, there's uh, been reports of voter fraud already, and we're praying about that on Wednesday night here in the church. That's part of our prayer list. Uh, We're asking the Lord to root that out and to keep that at least to a minimum. I know that whenever you talk about voter fraud, people think, well, you know, I never knew that happened. Well, it does happen. You know, voting should be about what's good for the country. It's about our future, the future of America. It's what's good for our children. Uh, It's a privilege and an obligation for Americans to participate in the system of choosing the leaders. I've had people say, well, you know, I don't think my vote counts. I'm only one. I want to encourage you to go home and get on the computer and uh, put that question in there about the value of one vote. And you're going to find that throughout history, lots of elections were won just by one vote. And uh, so it's just not an isolated incident. One vote does count. Our premise this morning is this, is godliness elevates a nation. It exalts a nation. And I know that that's what you want and that's what I want. Uh, we want our country to be lifted up, not torn down. I was reading in Ezekiel chapter 22, and if you have your Bible open in front of you, I'd like to ask you to turn over to Ezekiel. It's a number of pages to the right. Between the services, one of the guys said, did you have any, lo- any reason to ask us to turn to the right? to find the passage of Scripture. Was that in your design? It really wasn't, but turn to the right. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 22, uh, verse 30. Uh, I want to encourage you to go home and read the whole chapter, chapter 22 of uh, of Ezekiel. Uh, It's there that the Lord spoke to Ezekiel, and He says, Listen, I want you to denounce the, the deeds of the people in public. And I want you to begin with the leaders. And I want you to tell them that they're, they're leading the people astray. And then I want you to go on to the priest. And then I want you to deal with the prophets too because they're not saying the right thing. And the summation of Ezekiel chapter 22 verse, uh, verse number 12, the summation of it is that the people have forgotten God. Now I know that there are there's a whole generation in our country that doesn't understand that. The older generation we understand what it means in a, what it meant in America for America to follow God, to for America to have a respect for God. But the newer generations don't have that perspective. Uh, they don't understand that, and we sometimes don't understand them, and we. Uh, It's hard for them. But through history, nations have forgotten God. And God here said, listen, you have become to me like slag, like dross, worthless compound. You have false prophets telling people what they want to hear. You have priests that are not doing their job. And then the grand conclusion is given in verse number 30. Look at it. So I sought for a man. I sought I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. What is it that has guarded America? It's the wall of righteousness. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found none. That's interesting. The leaders were corrupted. The priests were corrupted. The prophets weren't any good. And he said, I've just looked for somebody to stand in the gap, to rebuild the wall of righteousness. God blesses America based on righteousness and unrighteousness. Are we following him or are we not following him? God's looking for some faithful people who will unite in their goal to resist evil. And I'm thankful today for many churches, ours is just one of them, uh, that are standing up and speaking out against the evils of our land. Psalm 106 verse 23 says that Moses stood in the gap for the nation of Israel. He made the difference. And if you go to Exodus chapter 32 verse 11 through 14, you will find that he made the difference in the land. He called on God and God relented of his intention to destroy the nation of Israel. We've seen an avalanche of persecution against the faith in God in our country recently. The faith has been eroded piece by piece and we know with each piece our country gets weaker and weaker and it becomes more and more like the socialistic countries in Europe that are collapsing now right before our eyes because their governments got bigger and bigger and took more and more personal rights away from the people. Well, the intention of our founders, uh, some of their intentions, of course, is given in the Declaration of Independence. It's actually a statement of human rights. Uh, It was primarily drafted by Thomas Jefferson, adopted by the Second Continental Congress July 4, 1776 and they say that the text of the second section has a sentence in it that is the most well-known sentence in the English language. And it goes like this. We hold these truths to be what? Self-evident. That all men are created what? Equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights or unchangeable rights that among them, first of all, are what? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The first responsibility of our government and our president is to protect the country from enemies without and within. And to me, this begins with the most vulnerable among us, the unborn. You know, there's no greater joy, and many of you have had that privilege, uh, to hold a baby just when the baby arrives. It is the most thrilling, unbelievable experience. But, you know, God considers human life beginning from the womb. And uh, we have that picture back there that you have seen many, many times um, picture of a baby. Since 1973, there have been 50 million abortions, over a million each year, and 3,300 per day. To me, whenever I go to vote for somebody, I, uh, that's my first consideration right there. Uh, if a person doesn't believe in the value of human life in the womb... Uh, I'm not interested in voting for them. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. God said to Jeremiah this. Let's read it please. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Now I want you to notice up here in this verse that God formed Jeremiah. God was at work in the womb of Jeremiah's mother making him the person that he was supposed to be. Also in Luke chapter 1, verse 15, uh, there is a parallel verse, and let's read this one. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb the lord looked down into the womb of the mother of john the baptist and said the spirit of god's going to be working in his heart in his mother's womb psalm 139 is uh, it's it's like the golden text of of what god does in the mother's womb verse 13 through 16 let's re- let's read that all right You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Let's go to the next verse. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed." It is God who brings these babies into the world and God who nurtures them and God who grows them in their mother's room and puts them together so intricately and so wonderfully complex. What does that mean? That means God considers a baby in the womb to be as human as a full-grown adult. And to me, this is my personal conviction, to me the most important right in all the world is the right to life. I believe in voting rights, equal rights, human rights, all of those rights are fine, but they make no sense unless a person has the right to life. That's the foundation. Um, now, I know that this is a hard subject for some because through the years I've had women in our church come to me and say, Pastor, uh, when I was young and I didn't have all the facts, I had an abortion. And I've struggled with that through the years, and I'm, i i Try to be sensitive toward that. We believe in forgiveness, and God believes in forgiveness. And people make mistakes when they don't have the information. But, you know, whenever you think about somebody who's had an abortion, uh, I just want you to always be reminded that those babies that were aborted, uh, they are in the arms of God. They're in heaven. And the Bible teaches that. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23 David is talking here and he says, But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. David was fasting for his little baby and the baby died. And he said, Listen, I can't go to him. I mean, he can't come to me, but I'm going to go to him one day. And uh, you can be reminded of Psalm 23. Psalm 23. David says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord, what? Forever, right? So David was talking about heaven. And these little babies, as tragic as it is to, uh, to take their life, uh, they, have, they have a life with God in heaven. And that's the good point. I read about a woman named Pam who knows the pain of considering abortion. More than 24 years ago, she, had her husband Bob, she and her husband Bob were serving as missionaries to the Philippines and praying for a fifth child. Pam contracted amoebic dysentery, an infection of the intestine caused by a parasite found in contaminated food and drink. And she went into a coma and was treated with a strong antibiotic before they discovered that she was pregnant. Doctors urged her to abort the baby for her own safety and told her that the medicines had caused irreversible damage to her baby. She refused the abortion and cited her Christian faith as the reason for her hope that her son would be born without the devastating disabilities that the physicians predicted. Pam said the doctors didn't think of it as a life. They thought of it as a mass of fetal tissue, While pregnant, Pam nearly lost her baby four times but refused to consider abortion. She recalled making a pledge to God with her husband, If you will give us a son, we'll name him Timothy and we'll make him a preacher. Now that's hardly a deal God can turn down, right? Pam ultimately spent the last two months of her pregnancy in bed and eventually gave birth to a healthy baby boy, August 14th, 1987, Pam's youngest son is indeed a preacher. He preaches in prisons, makes hospital visits, and serves with his father's ministry in the Philippines. He also plays football. Pam's son is Tim Tebow. Uh, the tide is changing in America, finally, because people who believe in, in, in pro-life and people who believe in protecting the innocent unborn, have stood up for a long time now, and the tide is turning. 52% of the people in our country are now pro-lifers. I remember years ago when we used to take buses of people from our church down to Oakland, and we'd stand out there with those signs all over Oakland. And uh, it was so thrilling to plant that thought in the life of our kids. Listen, we believe in life, so much so that we're willing to stand up for it. This is my first consideration when I vote for somebody. What do they believe about life? Do they believe that this life is from God? Another consideration that that I take into, into, uh, into the voting booth is the value of marriage, especially today. I never thought it would be an issue, but it is. You know, marriage is the glue that holds civilized society together. It really is. It always has been. And here's the reason why. Marriage was instituted by God in the beginning. He brought Adam and Eve together, and I'm sure that when Adam saw Eve, he was pretty happy. And uh, they started off on the journey of life, So, like so many of you in this auditorium today. And... and uh, That's God's original idea. One man for one woman for one lifetime. Now that doesn't always happen. There are many people who are married and somehow, oftentimes, through no fault of their own, an explosion takes place in the marriage. And it blows up. Sometimes it's both of them that cause it. Sometimes it's immaturity, all sorts of reasons. Um, that that happens and then they have to move on and go on and our church has always been a church that doesn't look at divorced people as second class citizens because about 50% of those getting married are divorced and we believe in forgiveness and we believe in second chances and third chances and things like that but we believe that God's best idea is uh, His original idea that's one man for one woman You know, marriage is God's idea, and it's a commitment of one man and one woman to each other. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. That's a big commitment. Do you know that? That's a big commitment. Now, I know that the world doesn't look at marriage like that. They just look at it as some sort of a romantic infatuation. Boy, that kind of like disappears pretty quick, doesn't it? It's like, boy, we can't make it in marriage if we run on our feelings, can we? Of course not. (laughs) Some of you are struggling with your feelings right now. We can't make it in marriage on feelings. It is a commitment. I believe in commitment. Almost everything that I have ever done that's been good, I committed myself to it, and I didn't know how I'd do it. I didn't know how I would do it, but I made a commitment to it. And I figured out how I could do it as time wore on. Proverbs 2.16 is an interesting passage. Let's read this together. Wisdom will also save you from an adulterous woman from a loose woman with her smooth top, who leaves her husband, the closest friend of her youth, and forgets her marriage vows to her God. The Bible seems to imply that uh, marriage is something that's done as God as a witness and there are vows exchanged one with another. And sometimes people write their own vows, and sometimes they just take historical vows. Uh, but uh, they're exchanging these vows before the Lord. And I think a lot of times people don't realize that uh, when they make these vows, there is an unseen witness at the wedding. And it is none other than the Lord himself. Malachi chapter 2, verse 14. Let's read this. You cry out, why has the Lord abandoned us? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made to each other on your wedding day. When you were young. But you have been disloyal to her. Though she remained your faithful companion. The wife of your marriage vows. Boy there's a lot in that right there. The Lord is the witness. She's your faithful companion. She is the wife of your marriage vows. To me, that means this. I, I don't know. Every now and then, when people get married, they have these forms and witnesses sign. Do you remember them? Where they have somebody at the wedding, you can be a witness, and everybody signs the, uh, everybody signs the form. Well, God is the witness, he says, whenever you exchange your married vow, your vows, and we need to understand that. He's the person who designed marriage. Uh, he's the person who affirms marriage. And it's interesting to me that when Jesus came uh, into the world to perform his ministry, that the very first place he went to was a wedding. He could have gone to any number of things, but he showed up at a wedding to do his first miracle and to me what that means to me is that he put his stamp of approval on marriage I'm for it and it's interesting we believe that Jesus is God and so therefore in the beginning when he brought Adam and Eve to the Lord he established it and then when he came into the world he affirmed it and let me say to you today that marriage is still God's best ideal but there's always an attack upon marriage and I guess the greatest attack upon marriage is the, is the fact that people never talk much about a commitment. If you can get marriage and test it out for a while and if you don't like it, well, just, just do something else. It is a commitment. One of the attacks that uh, has transpired in recent years is homosexual marriage or same-sex marriage. We never thought that we would ever have to deal with this. That, that doesn't didn't make sense to us years ago when we first heard that but uh, the bible does speak uh, about uh, these things romans chapter 1 verse 20, 26 says that is why god abandoned them to their shameful desires even the woman turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulge with sex with with each other and in Romans chapter 1, Paul is talking about how evil the world is, and how depraved it is, and how, how filled with lust it is. And he said, listen, it's because women and men have cohabited with each other, the same sex. Paul goes into some details in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And this is an interesting passage of scripture. And we're going to kind of take a minute in the service this morning and go through this. Uh, So let's, let's read it together, okay? But you know that these who do wrong will have no share in the kingdom of God. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who are idol worshipers, adulterers, male prostitutes, Homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, abusers, and swindlers none of these will have a share in the kingdom of God. Now that's interesting. There was a time, there was a time when some of you were just like that. But now your sins have been washed away and you have been set apart for God. You have been made right with God because of what the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God have done for you. Let's go back to that page right there and just look at the list. There's a lot of things that Paul mentions there. And you know, whenever you come to that passage in the Bible and you read it down, you read over that, you say, oh, I did that. That happened to me. What this passage is talking about, and it's prefaced up here, it says, Don't you know that those who do wrong will have no share in the kingdom of God? This is talking about people who have a perpetual lifestyle of these things. I think that this is not talking about people who... Fall into these things and say, "Hey, listen! I don't, I don't want to do that again. <laughs> I don't want that. I'm not living like that. I made a mistake." Uh, because it's amazing how many things people fall into when they're growing up. They get in the right situation or actually the wrong situation, uh, at the at the wrong time, and they make the wrong decision. But he, it's interesting that he puts homosexuals, uh, male prostitutes, right in here next to adulterers and even next to thieves and even greedy people and drunkards. And so he kind of like bunches them all together. And then he says, listen, uh, there was a time when you were just like that, but now your sins have been washed away and you have been set apart for God in our country uh, now across the land people are voting in different places about legitimizing homosexual marriage. Well the Bible says it's a sin. Marriage is not the union of two of same-sex persons. Marriage is the union of a man and a woman under God's blessing. It will never ever be anything else. And so We never dreamed of the time that we'd have to stand up and answer a basic question like this. In fact, our our country has so been demoralized and, and has fallen into degeneracy in such a short period of time, even since 1996. Now, just think of that. Count that up. 1996. Let me tell you what happened then. There was the Defense of Marriage Act enacted September 21, 1996. It is a United States federal law that defines marriage, listen to this, as the legal union of one man and one woman for federal and interstate recognition. Purposes in the United States. This law passed both houses of Congress by large majorities. 1996. Our Congress said marriage is defined in our country as one man and one woman. It was passed by large majorities and was signed into law by Bill Clinton in September 21st, 1996. Now, I know that people today are saying, well, listen, times have changed and things are different. They have changed. And things are different. But God is still the same. And the Bible is still the same. And marriage will never be anything less than what God originally intended it to be. They can call it what they want to call it, but God calls it sinful behavior. Now, the good news about that though is it is forgivable like all the sins. When people come to Christ with a repentant heart and believe in Him and confess Him as their Savior, their sins are washed away as far as the East is from the West, and they are forgiven. And all of us in this auditorium who have been forgiven by God understand that don't we some of us in this auditorium don't want to go back where we were in our previous life and that's what Paul was talking He said some of you are just like this just remember that don't be too condescending about this whole thing remember where you came from you were back there too well uh, marriage is a wonderful thing it was designed by God Even though man has fallen, marriage has never fallen. It's that part of God's original creation that continues to bless and bring happiness in every generation. And we here in the church are trying to do our best uh, to extol the virtues of marriage. Uh, Our society makes it pretty hard for people to continue to be married, doesn't it? They make it as easy as they can for us not to be married. But Matthew 19, verse 5 and 6, the Bible says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God hath joined together, let no man put asunder or separate. And so what God is saying there to the world is don't mess with marriage. Don't mess with it. I created it. It was uh, my original design. Now, in the voter guide that you're going to get when you leave the service today, there are, there's a whole list of things that these people have records on and have gone on records. And, uh, but to me, the, And most of the things there are moral issues, okay? Issues between what is right and what is wrong morally. And I believe that you can never go wrong if you vote the right morals, amen? You can never go wrong. Uh, Forget about loyalty to some party. Forget about loyalty to some person. Uh, Because... Remember, it is righteousness that exalts the nation. And sin drags it down. To me, these two issues are the determining factors in this year's election for me, that just to begin with: who will stand up for the unborn? We have a young lady in our in our church and she's not here now so i'll say something about her Uh, after a service wednesday night service she came up to me and she said how many people remember the forty days of life campaign that we just had here in pittsburgh we we went some people went down and they stood in front of the abortion clinics and all of that for forty days she said pastor i think she's about twenty five years old young mother she said, Pastor, I fasted that whole period of 40 days for life. Not on the weekends, but during the week. I ate one meal a day for 40 days and prayed to God for the unborn. I lost 20 pounds byproduct. That wasn't my attention. I lost 20 pounds but i thought and i've been teaching on fasting on wednesday night and i said to her you should teach the class you should be the teacher but uh, there are many many people that are very concerned and so uh, who will stand up for the unborn that's my that's my first check and who will stand up for the biblical definition of marriage i'm going to vote for candidates who value human life from conception by protecting the unborn. I'm going to vote for candidates who value God's idea of marriage because it was His design, not mine. And this is the reason. Because righteousness lifts up our country and sin destroys our nation. I care about America and I care about what God says on these issues. When we honor God's values, He will bless us and our country. Abraham Lincoln said, do not be concerned if God is on our side as much as we are on God's side. And so whenever you look at these voting records and you see, uh, just kind of line them up. Is this what God thinks? And some of them are so self-evident, you know, they're not hard to figure out. Is this what God thinks? Is God for this? Then if God is for those things, go for it, okay? Let's vote spiritual values. And we can never go wrong when we do that. Now, we might be in the minority. Somebody says, well, what if the candidates that we're voting for don't win? (laughs) I've had many candidates I voted for that didn't win. (laughs) Uh, The answer to me is this. We press on. We press on. We press on. Let's bow our heads in prayer. with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning uh, one of the greatest privileges we have in america is the right to vote there are so many things that are messed up in our system and we know that but we're a part of the system and uh, we uh, everybody's vote is important and it's i, I think our christian duty uh, to go there and make our voice be known because we are America. We are America. And I think that whenever these candidates that get into, into positions of leadership who believe in life and who believe in marriage and believe in commitment to marriage, uh, I, think, I think God is pleased with that. And I think God will bless uh, that person and the decisions that they make. Dear Lord, as we uh, come to this election, we are humbled and we we rely upon you, Lord, to rescue our country. Uh, But begin with us right here in this room. Begin with us. Uh, Help us to prayerfully and carefully choose our leaders uh, from uh, their statements, from their voting record on what they believe about the the issues that really count not the giveaway programs Uh, not uh, making life easier for the people but making life uh, in alignment with your will that's defined for us in the Bible We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation song this morning. And as we sing this morning, if you feel that you'd like to come and pray about anything that's going on in your life or the life of a friend, or if you'd like to just come and pray for the country, just feel free to do that this morning as we sing together. leave the church unless you get this today. This is really, really informative. You can reproduce this. You can give them away. And then if you filled out your little prayer thing, uh, either put it in the offering box or hand it to one of the guys. Lay it on the table. We'll collect it. We'll find it. And uh, we'll do that also. Okay? Turn around and shake hands with your neighbor. God bless you. You're dismissed.